Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. So welcome to a bonus series, I think we'll call this, on Stop the Killing. And uh, we've come up with this idea. It was actually Catherine's genius idea because, Catherine, you're writing a new book. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about the book and how it set the tone for the conversations that we're going to have? Yeah, sure. Impromptu question. Um, All of the conversations when I go places to give speeches and I talk to people, I do television and radio interviews, the one thing that people seem to argue the most about and is guns, firearms, and it's very polarizing. And one of the situations I found most striking is that it seems like you can't get two people to have a single conversation about any aspect of guns without it turning into somebody walking away or somebody being angry. Sure. And a lot of times people involved in the conversation don't have the background. They're using the wrong terminology. So I decided to because I have nothing else to do, to write this other book called How to Talk About Guns with Anyone. And it's designed to give you the base information that you need to have a sensible conversation and designed to encourage you and give you some tips for how to have a conversation without turning it into an argument. All the information that you might need to have, hopefully, a spirited conversation that you could have at your dining room table on holiday and not have things go downhill and have your mom send you out of the room. I love that. And what we're actually going to do today is to see actually how good a writer you are, really, because we're going to put it into practice with this bonus series. And you came up with this genius idea to bring two people together that have, I guess, maybe opposing thoughts, but we're about to find out how true that is, and have those conversations in real life. So do you want to just introduce who you decided to bring along and bang heads together with? Yeah, I have two members of my family who I think probably carry some similar views and some opposite views. There's two things about them that I admire. And both of you, if you ever repeat this, I'm going to deny it. One, they both are well studied. They ask a lot of questions. Both of them have reached out to me to ask me different questions about my areas through the years that I work in. And the other thing is that they both have the ability to tell you you're stupid without saying that word um, or tell you they <laughs> agree. Talent. You know, they're, poli- they're polite, right? They're polite. They know how to have a conversation. So I want to introduce my brother, Daniel, and my brother-in-law, Tom. I'm Daniel, yes. I'm uh, Catherine's brother. I've been a a lifelong Michigan person. I grew up in Midwestern cities and have just very recently retired. And uh, I'm a father and husband. 
five children between us and uh, all older and out in the world now. But, you know, now we're looking at somewhere down the road, grandchildren and such. And uh, I look at all of this as, you know, how are we going to keep our kids safe? And that's a big part of where I am on this stuff. Hi, um, I'm Tom. I live in Florida. I lived in Michigan for 35 years. And of course, I've known Dan for forever now. I'm married to his sister. So uh, he and I have known each other for a long, long time. I was a teacher for about 30 years, taught high school and junior college level. I also was a business owner for about 12 or 13 years. So I have a little bit different perspective. I have never worked in the corporate world like Dan has done. Um, I find Florida to be an interesting place after living in Michigan. The, the politics here are quite different, and that includes the gun laws and the attitudes and all of that kind of thing. So this might end up being an interesting exchange. Can you, Daniel, give us your, you know, where you stand on the guns issue from a helicopter to out view before we get into the minutia? I think guns and gun violence, I think it's kind of out of control in our country. And uh, we have a problem with like that from a perspective standpoint compared to other countries. I think that we're kind of handcuffed by Congress that seems beholden to the gun lobbies. And we just see this spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. And if you haven't been touched by gun violence, you will know somebody who has. In fact, you know, I know someone who, uh, two doors down from my wife, right before we got married, a little girl that uh, found a, a, an unattended gun and curious and got up and playing around with it and tragically killed her sister. So I just think we need to act and feel a sense of urgency uh, as a parent and a potential grandparent, you know, for those things. And this is where I think that Tom and I might have some commonality. And I think we need background checks. I think we need a waiting period. I think we need a national register that really works. I think raise that legal age. I think those are just some easy, pragmatic things, I think. And also, I think there needs to be a waiting period. So, Tom, could you answer Sarah's magnificent question, which was? Yeah, where do you stand on guns, Tom, generally? I grew up in a house in rural Pennsylvania with lots of guns. But they were cools that we used to hunt deer or rabbits. We didn't think of them as protection pieces because we didn't need to be protected. We lived in the middle of nowhere. So I never had that, you know, idea when I was a kid. We had mostly rifles. I don't think my dad had any handguns at all. We had rifles and shotguns. They were locked up in a cabinet in my parents' bedroom. The kids were not allowed to go in that room, much less in that cabinet. And we never thought of them as unsafe. I've owned guns since I was a kid. I got my first gun when I was 12 years old. And I've had guns of some kind ever since. And so if you could wave a magic wand and whatever this is that we're dealing with, make it go away, what actions would that magic wand do? Not surprisingly, having said I was a teacher, I think we need a lot of education about guns. We avoid talking about guns as opposed to educating people about guns. I bet you nine out of 10 people that I know will misuse the term automatic weapon. They don't know what that means. Automatic weapons are already 
not allowed to be in my possession. I can't go to the store and buy an automatic weapon. And yet you hear that term all the time. That's just an example from a teacher's point of view of how the vocabulary gets in the way of people's understanding of the issue. I think we need a lot more education about guns. Well, that'd be my magic wand. This is a good start. Yeah, me too. I think it's really interesting just as an observation how Tom came into the gun conversation with it coming from, you know, just like a hunter-gatherer. And now over your lifetime, it's changed into that whole different beast. It's about public safety. I think that's a great starting point. So I wanted us to first talk about background checks. And that may seem like a broad subject to start with, but here in the States, there is a system, uh, the NICS system, that's run by the FBI for the federal government that if you want to buy a gun under certain circumstances, uh, but not all, when you go into a gun dealer, if he's a federal firearms licensee in FFL, that person can sell you the gun, but first must run a background check. And you should get a fairly prompt answer, but within three days, the federal government must give an answer on that NICS background check. And if you don't uh, pass, you can't walk out with a gun. If you do pass, you can walk out with the gun for the most part in most states. And if it's inconclusive, three days after you ask for the background check to be done, you can still get the gun, even if the background check isn't done. So that's the way that things are set up now. And only certain people who have FFLs, they're required to meet this background requirement. But if Tom owns a firearm and he wants to sell it to Daniel, uh, he can do that in private sale. And there's no background checks for private sales in the federal system. So there's a lot of discussion and not, not always a lot of agreement on background checks. So my question for Daniel is, you mentioned background checks and that you think that's, a, that's something that should be done. What do you think is being done on background checks now? What isn't being done and what do you want to see changed? Well, they need to be consistently managed. And I was under the impression for a while that they weren't, and I might be wrong on that. But I also think they need to be consistently applied. I think at gun shows, isn't there some loopholes where you can uh, buy weapons without gun checks? Well, you know what? That's a common term that I hear people say, well, what about the gun show loophole? And the gun show loophole is actually private sales. The background check requirement is specifically for people who have FFLs under federal law. So if you don't have one and you're not considered a gun seller under federal law, you can sell your guns and buy guns indiscriminately. And that's the gun show loophole because there are at gun shows uh, sellers who don't have FFLs but are selling guns. So like if I wanted to buy a gun from Tom, uh, I think a background check should be run on me. I also think this kind of goes along with that whole background check thing. I know somebody who makes Air 15 style uh, ghost guns in Michigan here, a couple of engineers. And uh, they've been doing this for years and selling guns to people all under the radar. And I think that that is awful. I don't think that should be allowed. So, Tom, I'm in favor of background checks in general. I would like to see a system more like we have with the TSA. Where if you're a frequent flyer, you can get a pass and not have to go through all of the the check stuff that I have to go through. I think there ought to be some kind of a system where 
I can be background checked. I can get some kind of license, whatever you would call it, that I would carry. And then the next time I go to buy a gun, I don't have to go through the whole background check thing again because it's already been done on me and, you know, who cares? So I'm in favor of background checks maybe for the first gun, but after that, probably not. Okay. So, Tom, that's, that's an interesting idea. Um, and I like your analogy, paralleling that with the uh, TSA. So, okay. So if you're buying guns, you buy one, you go through the background check, you get your uh, gun equivalent of a TSA approval. And, yep. and then you're okay from there on. That's, is that what you're, that's what you're suggesting, right? Am I getting yes. that right? Yes. Okay. So my concern would be people abusing that, you know, as a way to just funnel weapons to elicit sales, you know, kind of like the guys that I know that are making their own guns. And that would have to be managed a little bit more in, in my view. But I, I understand where you're going. If you can make it less uh, onerous, I get that. But I also see that as an easy workaround. For the nefarious types, you know, that's my view. Can I just d- differentiate between a background check and a license? Because what Tom's describing sounds like a license that you might need to renew it every five years or whatever you would for a driver's license. I have a carry permit. So maybe that would be a way of thinking about this. I go through all the background check stuff to get my carry permit. And as long as I have that carry permit, I can buy a gun without going through an additional background check. Yeah, I just want to interject here, Sarah, just for clarification. The background checks are a federal requirement. Tom's license to carry a gun is a state license. So every state has its own rules about carry. But if Tom goes in right now, even though he has a carry license for the state of Florida, if he goes into a store to buy another weapon, they will still run a background check. Daniel, if you were going to buy a gun from Tom, then from a mechanic standpoint, there'd have to be a system set up where you would have to go find an FFL who has a machine that allows him to run a background check. And so you would have the inconvenience of instead of being able to sell the gun to your neighbor, the two of you would have to go into a store where there's a guy or a gal with an FFL who you would pay a fee to and they would run the background check. So, Daniel, I think that's a little bit about what you're saying is well, okay, everybody should be able to have the background check. Why is that important, do you think, Dan? Because there are too many people with emotional or psychological issues, criminals, kind of also goes to the waiting time thing, right? Crimes of passion. So, Tom, well, what do you think, Tom, about that? I mean, you hear what he's saying? Sounds like some pretty valid reasons for why he thinks that there should be background checks run. You know, I haven't got that far yet, I guess is what I will say. I may just be unaware of how many private sales there are, but the people that I know that do private sales do a few. They're not selling a hundred guns a year. They're selling a gun to their nephew. They're selling a gun at gun shows, but they only have five available to sell. I've been to gun shows. I've seen the, the non FFL people boots. They don't have a hundred guns sitting there. They have. And when they're gone, they're gone. So those people are not legally selling large numbers of guns. And so I've never found, you know, a big concern with those straw purchases, which if you want to talk about that, that's a different thing. Those people can do 
a lot of gun sales in a short period of time. But the gun show people that I've seen, I'm not threatened to buy. I'm sorry. What's a straw purpose, Tom? Straw purchase? Straw purchase. Yeah. Let's have Catherine explain that so that I don't mess it up here. That's a legal term. A straw purchaser is, Daniel, you want the gun and you are a prohibited person because you've been convicted of a felony or you have had an involuntary mental health hold. You have been discharged from the army, dishonorably discharged. There are a handful of reasons why you cannot buy a gun from an FFL that are prohibited reasons uh, under the federal system. But you still want to buy those three guns because you want to hunt or because you want to kill people. And so you go to Tom and say, can you go buy these guns for me? Because you know that you're prohibited and Tom's your brother-in-law. So he's going to do you a solid and run over there and pick up those guns. So he goes over and he purchases the guns because he can legally purchase the guns. And in his attestation for his background check that's run with FFLs, he says, I'm buying these guns for me. And he isn't buying them for him. He's buying them for you. That is a straw purchase. A straw purchase is not just a term for guns. It's a term for anything. But I think uh, a criticism you might recall, there was a shooting during a a lot of unrest uh, a summer before last up in Wisconsin. And there was a kid who was up there who was 17 at the time. And he had a semi-automatic style rifle with him and ended up killing people and was charged with murder and was found not guilty. But the weapon that he was using was purchased by somebody else. He gave the money to a friend and said, can you go buy this weapon for me? When I turn 18, I'll come and get it. And because he was pretty close to 18, that's a straw purchase. You're not allowed to do that. So just like every now and then, you'll see some pharmacists here in the States, who, of course, selling stuff like Oxy and, and all those other drugs at high volume, working through some doctor or something like that. And they're basically working around the law right? Until they eventually get caught. But uh, there'd have to be some kind of safeguard to keep people from doing high volume of that. And to your point, Tom, it's not for the guys that you know. I mean, you, it sounds like the, the guys that you're hanging out with sound like they're probably very similar to, the, to your upbringing. You know, they grew up with guys maybe on farms or whatever. And that's uh, a tool. It's a, it's a hobby tool, maybe, you know, hunters, target shooting, that kind of thing. So those aren't the guys that I don't think any of us are really worried about it. It's the uh, people who abuse the system. And we all know we have so many laws in place just to manage the lowest common denominator that's going to try and abuse the system, be it financial laws, gun laws, you know, drug laws. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. 
But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything, from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements, or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Can you see any commonality between your views, Tom? Well, I think it's difficult for law enforcement to deal with people who willingly break laws. I don't care if it's a gun law or the speeding limit. All of us have driven over 70 miles an hour on I-95. You know what I mean? We all willingly break laws from time to time. The ones that I break are things like speeding limits. But the ones that the real criminals break are the ones like straw purchases. So I don't think law enforcement has a very good handle on any of them. But making my life more difficult to buy guns isn't going to stop the straw purchase guy from buying guns, no matter what we do, because he's willing to break the law. Can I ask Damn. a question here, Catherine? Is there a blowback when? We're talking about straw purchases. The person who made the straw purchase in the first place, is there criminal charges placed against them if that weapon is then used by somebody else? Like, for example, in Columbine, when somebody else purchased the weapon for the student. There are laws, and they have been used. They were used up in the Wisconsin shooting I mentioned. They were used at Columbine. The purchasers of the guns for minors, for instance, or for other people, can be charged criminally and often are. But it doesn't prevent the sale from happening. Probably like speeding. If I try it once and I get away with it, I'm more willing to try it again. It's also a deterrent, right? We do have speed limits. And so if we didn't have speed limits, I know like you can, I've been on the Autobahn over in, in Germany, you know, in my crappy rental Renault, and I've abused the Sam Hill out of that car uh, driving you know, 100. 140 kilometers an hour or something crazy like that. My point being, there are no speed limits. So people are driving like absolute maniacs. So I think you do need to have some kind of deterrent in there so that there's some, hey, you might do it. You might break the law, but you know, you're going to be held to account and something like that. Oh man, I think, you know, people are getting murdered. Oh my gosh. Because somebody was an enabler in, in acquiring a weapon for some nut job. Man. So Daniel, Tom says it's a big inconvenience too to, purchasers. How do you respond to that? I think it's inconvenient to drive 30 miles an hour when I could probably drive 45 and I'm in kind of in a hurry to go somewhere. But I think we do some of these things for the greater good. You know, there's lots of things like that. Right now in the United States, there are certain over-the-counter cold medicines where you have to show your identification to prove that you're a certain age or, you know, who you are before you can buy this over-the-counter cold medicine because it has a small amount of codeine in it. Those things are managed. It's an inconvenience, but it's it's in place to manage the people who have codeine addictions and stuff to keep them from their own devices. You know, so so I think that you know what? Yeah, we have some inconveniences. That's just the, the way it ought to be. But I think we're doing our part. 
for our community. Tom? I probably see that as more government overreach than Dan does. I just see that, in, in including his example, I just see that as the government interfering with my life in a way that they don't need to do. I get that it's an opinion, but I'm not in favor of the government increasing background checks, et cetera, on people like me. And I think if we, if we institute a, a rule where every gun transaction has to include a background check. So that if I want to sell a gun to Dan, he and I have to go to an FNFL and go all, all through that process. I think we're simply making government involved in things that they really don't need to be involved. Like I said, I think law enforcement has a problem with lawbreakers in, in every place. It's already illegal to straw purchase. And yet people do it. It's already illegal to murder people and people do it all the time. It's already illegal to do a whole lot of things that people do all the time. Drugs are illegal, right? Nobody can have fentanyl legally, and yet it's everywhere. Law enforcement struggles with this stuff. I don't think making the gun registration process and background checks and so on is the way to go, other than, like I said, some kind of a let me apply for a permit once go through an extensive background check once, maybe have that three-day wait, 10-day wait, whatever we agree on, day wait once, and then leave me alone. You see that as a compromise, Dan? No, no, well, not really. I, I think it just, it opens things up for abuse. What does the government do? Government does things that the individuals can't do. They provide highways, they provide public safety. That's public safety. You know, I think the guns thing is the same thing. I think the drug, you know, you're right, Tom. You know, wow, what a massive problem we have. And uh, that's another podcast for another day. And I bet we'd have a, we'd have even more common ground on that. Frankly, to me, a waiting period ought to be at least 30 days. So you wouldn't probably might not agree on that. But I, I, I think it ought to be about 30 days. Well, what are you going to use a gun for? Right. If you're legitimately going to use a gun for, you're going to use it for, uh, hunting or maybe target shooting. You know, I do think that like a 30 day waiting period is something that gets emotion out of an equation for the most part. Is there a reasonable waiting period, Tom? I'm guessing 30 days is not on your list. Well, no, 30, your days, 30 days would, would not be on my list. I'm not in favor of a waiting period beyond the first one in Florida. I can go into a gun store today and bring the gun home today. I know because I've done that. So I know how the laws work here. You go in, they basically hand you a laptop computer, pull up a little program, and you just start entering information. And you hit the go button, and you sit around for an hour, and the answer comes back, yes or no, and they, you walk out of the door with the gun. That's a federal NICS check. If you have a carry permit in Florida, okay? So given the fact that I have a carry permit for the state of Florida, I can go into any local FFL, buy a gun, do the little computer thing, wait an hour, and come home with a gun. I think that's a perfectly good system. We don't seem to have a 
a problem with that here. We've had that system for quite a long time. Can I ask you a question about that, Tom? Um, I have a buddy who's in my poker group, and he's an engineer I used to work with. And uh, he decided he was going to get a carry permit, right? So he had to take a class that was several yes. weeks, month long. And did you have to go through that down in Florida? Yes, but it's one day. It's not several weeks or a month long. Yes. So I went to a local gun shop, which issues those, and we filled out the paperwork and sent them in. And then in so many days, you get your permit in the mail. Was that a required easy. course, Tom, or was that something you guys yes. chose to do? No, it was. it's required in Florida. At least it was at the time. I, I, I think our governor is actually pushing to get rid of that. But at this time, I think it's still the law that you have to go through that course, so to speak. It takes three hours. It's not a big deal. And it costs less than $100 to do it. I don't know how many hours are involved in the Michigan one, but it sounded to me like it was extensive compared to what you guys do. Three hours, you're in and out. And well, the guy, pretty, the guy that teaches the class has some kind of license to teach the class. Sure. You oh, know, he has the FFL and whatever the particulars are. Well, I'm, this friend of mine, Russ, he he went through. It was I don't know how many days a week he was going in for this thing, but I know he had a lot of hours that he had to go through this. So. You both support prior training before somebody's allowed to purchase a gun. Yes, I do. I think so. What about somebody who says, I grew up with guns. Why do I have to take a training class? And Tom, are you advocating training every time or new type of gun training every time? Just gun safety course? No, I would look at it more like a driver's license. You have to prove when you're 16 that you can safely handle a car, but you don't have to do it again when you're 17, 18, 19, et cetera. You just automatically get renewed. Now, along the way, if you've, been caught breaking a lot of laws, then there are additional schools that, you know, you're required to, to attend. But as long as you're a safe driver, you don't have to go back and re-qualify. You just get it reissued every five years or whatever it is. And I would do the same thing with guns. Yeah. Daniel? I think the other thing where we're just where we differ is I think my perspective of your input on that is you're looking through a lens of your own experience and the people that you know. And uh, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't have the gun experience, but I'm seeing a, a lot about what's going on in our country. And I think we have to manage to the lowest common denominator, like we do so many other things. You know, we have to manage to people who are at a much riskier point and how that's determined, I don't know. We started this conversation with. Do you support background checks or don't you support background checks? I support background checks so long as I don't have to do it every single time. It it seems to me to be unnecessarily repetitive. If I go into a gun store today, go through a background check, buy a gun and come home with it, and then I go back to that or some other gun store a week, a month, a year from now, and do the same process. Why do I need to go through the same background check? Why do I need to spend an hour? Why do I need to pay $15 and whatever it is? What's the point of that? I would say if I pass it the first time, I don't have to do it again. And maybe some short waiting period potentially and some training. The first time. Yes. Dano, how do you feel about background checks? Well, I'll speak to Tom's point here about the one time. Situations change. You know? So 
say I want to purchase a gun, I go through, I get my background check. In the year or so that follows, or whatever, some period of time, I go through some emotional trauma. I maybe go through a horrible breakup or something with a spouse, or maybe I'm abusive to that spouse. And I end up in some kind of legal jeopardy or even required mental care. So that would fly under the radar under that situation. It sounds like he's heading toward the red flag law situation. Maybe that's an appropriate next question. Yeah, I have one other question about background checks for both of you. 21 and under, 18 and over, 16 and over. Is there an age when you should be able to buy a gun? Well, as is so often the case in discussions about guns, one more question does not translate into one quick answer. And this recording session actually ran so long that my Zoom link gave up the ghost before we'd finished the conversation. If you want to hear the rest of Catherine's questions to Daniel and Tom, then they'll be available as bonus episodes over the coming weeks. And they'll be available exclusively to our Apple Podcast subscribers and our Patreons. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts now, simply hit the subscribe banner to access these and all our bonus content is on there. Or if you want to see the facial expressions and reactions to some of those uncomfortable questions, then head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing for the video version. You know, they say a picture can paint a thousand words. Well, I think you can say the same of a video, especially on the topic of guns. So do join us on Apple or Patreon next week as we pick up our social experiment of putting Catherine's new book, How to Talk About Guns with Anyone, into practice. You'll find the links to the book in the show notes. And FYI, both of Catherine's books sold out at CrimeCon in London in June. So we now know that we've got a fair few Brits navigating that gun conversation on this side of the pond. Fingers crossed, with your help, we can get these conversations happening globally too. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to Community Podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. 
because it will happen, and it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.